As our environment suffers degradation on account of climate change and man's activities, the world is in a rush to save the planet and sustain the ecosystem. Lives and livelihoods are threatened as governments and institutions fight to reclaim our environment. Are we succeeding? Is there hope the environment will be green again? Health of Mother Earth Foundation, HOMEF, believes rights of Mother Earth must be safeguarded. Communities should be equipped to voice protest against oppression and pollution in their environment. And justice must prevail in engaging with the environment and nature cycles at policy, corporate and individual levels. Welcome to Health of Mother Earth Foundation's Environment Quarter Hour Broadcast, where we help you make sense of the conversation about the environment. Hi listeners, welcome to today's episode of your favorite environment program. Last week, we started a discussion on climate change. We talked about the causes, the impacts, and what we can do to address it. Today, with our environment and climate change expert back with us, we will consider some of the structures put in place to address climate change, how have these structures helped, and how have they failed. Once again, welcome, Dr. Nimo Bassi. I'm happy to be back with you. One of the global action on climate change is the setup of the UNFCCC. Could you please uh, tell us what it's about? Well, UNFCCC means United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change. This convention was signed in 1992 as the original United Nations uh, Climate Treaty. Uh, which helps countries to come together to agree on how to address the issue of global warming because global warming is a global problem. It's not a thing that only one country can sit in one corner and resolve. It requires collective action. So the framework convention was set up uh, in a way to, to, to have a space for all countries and territories to come together and agree on the way forward because we're facing a collective challenge. Thank you. We have also heard of the IPCC. How is this different from the UNFCCC? Well, the IPCC, very interesting, means Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. This actually was established in 1988 and is the main authoritative scientific body that looks at climate change from scientific uh, perspective. Uh, it looks at the science of climate change as well as the social and economic impacts that climate change can have on Earth. So the IPCC is the major body that advises the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change. Now, every year, the UNFCCC has a conference called the Conference of Parties, COP or COP. Now, the COP meets to negotiate uh, whatever is being agreed in the convention and usually it's expected that what they agree on should be advised by what the scientists in the IPCC informs the world. Okay, uh, please tell us more about uh, some of the negotiations that have been on at the uh, Conference of Parties so far. Yes, over, over the years there's been 
very many conventions and in 2019 uh, there was going to be the 26th conference of parties conference for negotiation so for 26 years the world had been negotiating the question is where are we heading the conference that was to be held in 2020 has been postponed to 2021 uh, because of the coronavirus pandemic now there have been some very significant moments in the negotiation on climate change and i can just briefly talk about some of them one key element of the process has been the kyoto protocol that protocol was signed in 1997 during the conference of parties negotiation in kyoto japan now what that protocol required was that industrialized countries or so-called developed countries would make a collective binding emission cut in other words they were expected to agree to collectively cut emission by five percent by the year 2012. Uh, so the kyoto protocol had two the first commitment period was from 2018 to 2012 and thereafter another commitment period was to come into place but the challenge is that primarily the united states of america refused to sign the kyoto protocol even though the emissions that the rich countries were expected to cut only amounted to half of the emissions that were being uh, that were being released by as at 1990 and so that was a big problem so kyoto protocol the essential element of that agreement was that it was going to be a legally binding agreement so that when countries are told that science requires you cut emissions you stop polluting by this amount they would actually do that or be sanctioned one way or the other uh, there are some other concepts that some of us do not uh, quite understand and one of them is the copenhagen accord and the paris agreement uh, what do these really stand for right uh, I, I'm, I'm happy you asked that question because Copenhagen Accord became a very dramatic change from the Kyoto Protocol. Now, Copenhagen Accord was an accord reached at the Conference of Parties that met in Copenhagen, Denmark in 2009. Now, that conference was actually to ratify and move forward for Kyoto Protocol to be uh, to be carried on. By that time, the world was really afraid of having temperature increase above pre-industrial levels of one degree Celsius. And, and the rich countries were not willing to make any legally binding commitment. I remember I was at, at that meeting and the leader of the African delegates, uh, Ambassador uh, Lumumba of Sudan, wept at a press conference. He actually cried at the press conference and saying that the world wants to set Africa on fire by not agreeing to take action that is measurable, that is scientific, to keep temperature increase from not going beyond one degree Celsius. This is Home Earth's Environment Quarter Hour. Stay tuned. Now at Copenhagen, Instead of negotiating on how to take forward a binding agreement, what was introduced by the United States and some other countries was a kind of voluntary agreement where countries would decide what action they would take 
which would not be binding and not legally binding and they could not be held to account for that. And so that's what happened. And many countries refused to sign the accord. But over time, through arm twisting and other political maneuvers, many countries eventually endorsed it. That's the poor uh, effect of geopolitics and arm twisting in international politics. Now, the next agreement as you mentioned was the Paris Agreement, which was reached at the Conference of Party that was held in Paris, France, in 2015. That Paris Agreement essentially just concretized the Copenhagen Accord because it's built on voluntary decisions to cut emissions. In fact, the major element of the Paris Agreement is called the NDC, Nationally Determined Contributions. In other words, each country determines what emission cuts they want to make. Uh, and so uh, if you add everything up, there's no scientific basis to say, okay, this is what science have told us we need to cut, and this country would cut this, and this one would cut that, and then we're going to get to a certain solution. And it's been, it's been examined. What countries have so far uh, said they're going to contribute has been examined as at September 2019, where the United Nations Development Program looked at what countries put on the table. There was very little ambition. There was very little commitment to take real action. It was mostly poor countries who committed to do things on the short term. The richer countries were pushing things with the longer term, and they were generally just looking for ways to escape action. So the conference of parties, the negotiations under United Nations Framework Convention of Climate Change has essentially become a space where governments meet to negotiate how not to take climate action. And this is very unfortunate. This brings us to uh, what we know as the common but differentiated uh, responses. Can you uh, talk briefly yes. about that? The CBD are common but differentiated responsibilities. That was a key element of the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change because that convention, the, one of the major bedrock was justice. In other words, recognized that the world is warming because some countries have polluted the atmosphere over the years more than other countries. Countries in Africa have barely put any carbon in the atmosphere, but rich countries, uh, with the, through the Industrial Revolution, they pumped the atmosphere loaded with carbon. Uh, right now, the space left in the atmosphere that you can see put some more greenhouse gas is very small. And it, all this uh, negotiation is about how do we manage that remaining space? How do we manage so that we don't put too much carbon in the atmosphere and then the global warming will go totally out of hand, which would be very catastrophic, which would be very destructive. So nations were supposed to do things according to their responsibility of having put carbon in the atmosphere and also according to their capacity, the technology they have, the productive ability they have, what they've done in the past. So but right now, the ground is on level, I would say. Both those who have contributed to the problem and those who have not con contributed to the problem are just deciding what they're going to do. And Nigeria, for example, has submitted its own nas nationally determined contributions. And Nigeria said that I, I believe about 45% of what Nigeria said they were going to do is based on getting external finance and getting external aid through technology. So countries are giving conditional, conditional uh, ideas of what they would do. So the, the whole thing is, is like, our nations across the world don't realize uh, the kind of tragedy that is facing the world in terms of global warming. It's like the saying that Nero was fiddling while Rome was burning. 
the concept of climate justice is is a really important one because uh, responses has to be based on uh, responsibilities and, and the strength of the nations in terms of uh, technology and and uh, otherwise. And one of the key things that we should be we've been demanding is that governments should recognize the climate debt climate debt some people owe something they've they've destroyed the environment they've taken up the atmosphere they should pay for it and they sh- this money can be used to build capacity to withstand the impact that we're seeing already the floods that are killing people the flood that destroy infrastructure so instead of talking about green climate fund we should talk about payment of climate debt the kyoto protocol divided countries to what was called annex one and non-annex one and some of us say, well, we need also to have what should be known as Annex Zero, which are countries who have done, or communities or territories who have decided not to bring the carbon from the ground. And that may be something we could discuss on this kind of program. Okay, um, our time is far spent. Thank you very much uh, for giving us your time today. This is where we end the episode for today. We'll see you next time. Join us at this same time next week for another informative session. We invite you to send us your questions, comments, contributions, or stories about the environmental challenges or situation in your communities. We also invite you to join our incredible team of volunteers and eco-defenders. To be a volunteer for HOMEF, please send an email to volunteers at homef.org. For more detail or feedback, please send us email at home at homeworth.org. You may also reach us by sending SMS to 090-2700-1754. 090-2700-1754. See you next time. Stand up, stand up, stand up, stand up for your right.